This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, Welcome everyone, everyone to, to Standard. Sta- oh, Norm, you're back. Uh, I am back. Uh, Schmedlap, there were no six bells. How did I? I'm sorry, sir. I I, I stand relieved. Uh, Ken, out of the chair. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> that was just a little bit of a play on how fantastic. Ken and Atos did, Chief and Atos did in the last show. Um, thanks, guys, for taking care of the con while I was gone. And I just wanted to say welcome, everyone, back to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show that covers the original series. I'm Norman Lau. You've heard Chief Trip sign on. Uh, I'm serious, Ken, actually, out of the chair, please. Okay, okay. God. <laughs> I guess the Commodore has the con. <laughs> Wait till I get my pin flower, then you guys are all going to be in trouble. Oh so as you've heard, we've had Ch- uh, Chief Ken Tripp with us again. Chief, how are you? I'm doing well, Commodore. Welcome back. We missed you. It's good to have you back. I'm looking forward to this show. This is going to be, I think, a long one, but a fun one. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back with you guys. I missed you guys last week, but like you said, Ken, uh, I was out um, securing uh, my financial future so I can buy a bunch of awesome trinkets so we can send to all of our listeners out there when they win contests. And uh, obviously, you heard Mr. Atos with us, Jeffrey Harlan. Mr. Atos, how are you? I'm just uh, getting over a touch of the Lavoidian flu. You know, you, you want to avoid the Lavoidian flu. You know, the Atavicron should actually have some type of biofilter in it. I'm not sure if that's been invented by then, but you can just transport, have that stuff filtered out of you, transport back, and you wouldn't have the Lavoidian flu. You would Avoidian flu that, if you will. I get it. Oh, oh, he's saucy tonight, folks. Watch out. The Commodore is abusing his power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ken, you're right. We actually do have a great show. And this show is actually inspired by a conversation that I had with a really good friend of mine. And Tim Bennett, if you're listening, this is all because of you. Tim actually asked me at one point in time what my favorite episodes were of the original series. And I said, well, which season? And he goes, what do you mean, which season? He said, well, you know. There's top 10 lists out there. Well, I said, well, there's top 10 lists and there's top 10 lists. So he pulled up a bunch of different ones. He pulled up one from io9 and Gizmodo and some of the other like big geek lists out there, Den of Geek. The interesting thing about those lists is that they had the top 10 that they chose. The top five are usually the same. And then like the last five are, you know, somewhat random. But I looked at those and I kind of like in a breath, like just railed off like the top five. And I said, you know what? 
that doesn't seem responsible for a top 10 list because when I look at a top 10 list and, and I've chosen the chief and ATOS to do this for this show, our top 10 list and an essential list that we want to build for all of the TOS listeners out there, especially the new listeners, what are the episodes per season that truly illustrate to us what the original series really means for those seasons? So the goal here is to do every season and take a look at what we felt are our top seven personally, and then find a thread of commonality within those top seven and boil it down to the top three or four. And then we're going to have a great piece of interaction with the Babel Conference for you to list our our fifth, your fifth, and be part of that discussion. So this is what we would like to call the essential viewing for the original series a la your phase two or refit cruise. So really without further ado, I'd like to just jump right into, and we're going to do this in reverse order. I'd like to jump into our number seven pick. And just to keep this in, in, in terms of organization, to keep the round robin in the same order, Chief, I'd like to go for you for go first, uh, Ataz, and then I'll wrap it up and then see where we are with our lists towards the end. We have a lot to discuss here. There's so much to how we've treated this so personally, because how many episodes, Ataz, were there in the, in the first season? First season, there were 28, I believe. So we're boiling this down to seven and then boiling it further down to four or five. I think we should do five. I think five, because then we'll have 15 episodes total at the end of the next four weeks of podcast, because we're going to do five here. Five for season two, five for season three, and then a recap ultimate episode uh, for the essential collection. Because I think we wanted to, we were kind of like looking around at the model was going to be if we had to make a DVD collection for new listeners or, or new watchers to say, hey, here is what you really need to watch if you don't have the time to watch all 79 episodes. So let's get started, Chief. Let's get started with drum roll, please. My number seven is City on the Edge of Forever. That far down, huh? Yeah, that far down. I, I, I really focused on... No, a couple of things the audience, I think, should know, too, is we haven't seen each other's lists. We all did this separately. And You're right. You're right. under the auspices, and I think, Norm, this is what you did a really brilliant job at, is we're trying really hard to look at how would new fans look at this and what is their essential watching. And so it really turned my list upside down from what, I guess, what I would normally look at it. But looking at it through a different lens... That wound up that far down. I was surprised myself, but after a lot of thinking and a lot of toying, and with all the other episodes that we're going to be talking about, I think it is number seven. Okay. And just for a brief synopsis, I mean, I think I'm not even sure if we really need to cover that because City on the Edge of Forever was the number one across four different lists that I was referencing earlier. Mm -hmm. And I like where you're going with this, Ken, because this is... We're challenging ourselves not to go with the status quo, not to go with what everyone said. You know, City, it's Harlan Ellison. It's Harlan Ellison inspired. You know, it has all this going on with the episode. And it, why why City at seven? is Was there something in particular when you were looking at this that you were like, you know what? This just isn't quite the mark that I wanted the first season to hit. No, it wasn't that. What it was, was really just doing the due diligence on all the episodes. And you know, there were a lot of great episodes in season one. And mm-hmm. it, it, when you when you look at it in order and you see how, not, not in order of popularity, but in the order in which they they appeared, 
Man, it was like they they had some really phenomenal runs. Like the last five or six episodes in a row were all really strong. And I just really focused on, okay, if I just came into Star Trek with maybe the latter part of TNG or the uh, 2009 or or the Into Darkness films, what would I as a a viewer really want to see that would pull me in to want to watch the original series? The City on the Edge of Forever, obviously, it's a great story. It has a lot of heart. Uh, There's been a lot of discussions about it. But I'm trying to think of it through that that younger viewer that's really going to have that adrenaline pump and really want to see something exciting. So I think this has a very strong emotional impact. There's no doubt about it. But I don't know if it would just have the same allure with a younger audience than it does with us Trekkies who have been watching this stuff for 50 years. Fair enough. How about you, Ataz, number seven? My number seven is Space Seed. I hate you both. <laughs> <laughs> and why Why all the way at number seven, Atos? Well, um, what I came up with is they had a world-devastating war just a mere 30 years in the future as a possibility. You know, they're looking at the possibility of World War Three happening. At this point in the 60s, 1990s, World War Three, and... There's also the ideas of eugenics, which was popularized by the Nazis only 20 years earlier. And that's really horrifying and bone chilling to the people of that time. And it gives us a a plausible villain uh, who is also incredibly charming and charismatic. And it's a really incredibly interesting conflict. uh, But it's also not quite everything that Star Trek is all about. But it, it's understandable why MacGyver's was lured to his side in the episode. But um, don't you mean MacGyver's? Or, yes, uh, <laughs> I was kidding. He's Marlon MacGyver's. MacGyver's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So um, as I was saying, though, um, the the concept of you know we got this world war coming up, kind of doom and gloom idea. That's not really a Star Trek idea, but at the same time. They're saying, well, that's what we needed to get to where we are. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's those are surprising. And and I think our fans would find those surprising. My number seven is actually a taste of Armageddon. And and why I like it, why it made my top seven, but why it's so far down is because it's starting to really hint towards where I think the first season wanted to go. It has this really great overarching theme of war. Mm-hmm. And what is it good for? Absolutely nothing, huh? you know, so, but it has this whole abstract vision of war where people are actually being bombed out of existence, but reporting to uh, these disintegration chambers as casualties of war. It was a really interesting way of getting around the production aspect of actually showing up bombed cities, but this whole kind of the, uh, the, the people of mini R seven were like, they're okay with this because it's been going on for centuries. Just go out, just, okay, so your your section of town has been blown out of existence. Report to a disintegration chamber and you're done. Your whole family's wiped out. That's okay. We're good. So I like how Kirk challenged the status quo there and say like, no, no, no. You want to stop this for real. You got to challenge yourself and say like, hey, you know, war is ugly. War is painful. War is devastating. And you might want to stop this if it was real. So I liked how they were trending towards that. And for me personally, I will pretty much watch anything at that time that Bob Rebadcock was in because <laughs> she is one of my all-time favorites in the original series. So interesting spread here. So we have Ken with City on the Edge of Forever, Jeff with Space Seed, and uh, I with... Uh, a taste of Armageddon. So 
I will put that on the list, see how these things kind of suss out when it comes to cross-referencing the, uh, the top three or four. And we're going to go on to number six. So number six, Chief, what do you have? I have Arena as, as number six. And um, again, for a similar reason, uh, it's, it's, it, it really gets to the heart of Star Trek, I believe. Um, you know, you, you're dealing with, yes, some violence in a battle, but you're also talking about exploring, um, maybe overstepping where you're supposed to be and the, the understanding, the perception of what the adversary and how they're looking at things. And, uh, I think it, it will cross reference very well into Star Trek Beyond. So I see a lot of similarities there. So, uh, that's why I, I chose Arena. And what about you, Ataz? Where's your number six? My number six is the enemy within. Excellent uh, choice. Yes. Okay. Uh, pitting Kirk literally against himself by splitting him into two separate halves of his personality. It was an interesting way of exploring human nature and the irony that uh, ugly as it can be, if it's unchecked, we need our bad side to drive us to do things that we might otherwise be too meek to try. Mm -hmm. Or at least Kirk does. Now, when you guys were going through all of these, how hard was it? At these levels, at seven, six, five, how hard was it to kind of like not pull in some other episodes? Because for me, seven and six were really tough. I was really on the fence with a lot of episodes. Ken, was there something that you were just like, you know what, at any given day, month, you know, time of the year, would it have changed for you? Or at least around here? Because I know probably one, two, and three, those those really speak personally to, to each one of us, you know, at that level. But around these fringe episodes, was it really tough? It it was. It, it was a it was a tough um assignment, really, trying to, to put all this together and and think it through. So it did not come quickly. And it was easier, I think, to to kind of get the middle ones. And then it's like, boy, do I leave this one off and pull this one off and switch this off? And I I was doing that several times, to be honest, but Again, I really was trying to stay disciplined within the framework that, that this was built and tried to honestly step out of it because I'm a fan of, you know, the cities of the edge of forevers and, and the, um, and the next generation types of, you know, family. And those, those, those are all my favorite episodes. Uh, it really isn't so much the combat military ones, but, mm. um, I think that the perspective is changing with what is popular today and that's where I was trying to drive it. So yeah, it was a struggle for me. And Jeff with enemy within, cause that's an actually interesting choice. I haven't seen that on some of the top 10 lists. I've seen them in like the top 15 and top 20, but that was just one of those very abstract performances from William Shatner and I mean, it was, I think it was the first time that we actually saw a transborder malfunction of that magnitude to be able to split him in his two versions of his Ed. You know, you had the two aggressive sides and, and he could not, the center couldn't survive without the whole. Um, also, a really interesting turn with the way that McCoy and Spock kind of paralleled the two sides. And uh, of course, one of Janice Rand's probably better episodes. And she was a lot more involved in this episode probably than any other episode. And the dog. So... Um, that's right. Was that, a, was that, was it a struggle for you to choose this one? Um, not too much for me. Um, I, I always liked this one partly because of what you were saying, how it was uh, so abstract. I mean, it was just this really big concept that they're trying to take and fit into a television episode. 
and it was just a huge undertaking, and I think they pulled it off really well, and they did it in a way that it shed some light on uh, human nature that uh, they might not have otherwise been able to do. And I said, give me the brandy. It's a great line. He's such a nut in this. For my number six, uh, I chose Errand of Mercy because I wanted some, I wanted the representation of Klingons in the, in this list. And I'm not sure how this is going to fall into the rest of your lists, but for me, John Kolokos as core is the quintessential Klingon. This may not resonate well with a lot of the fans out there, but for me, he was the blueprint of what I felt the Klingon war machine and race should have been in subsequent series. I know that there are a lot of Klingon fans out there that really liked the way that they were portrayed with Martok and um, Gorkhan and Chang and um, gosh, I'm forgetting the guy with the crazy eyes. Uh, Galron? Jeff, uh, Atos. Galron. Yeah. <laughs> Galron. Uh, I know that there's, right. There's, there's that version of Klingon, but for me, it was always John Colicos, his dynamic with William Shatner, his um, just the, the Machiavellian presence that he brought to the whole dynamic with the Organians and kind of like the start of the Organian peace treaty. I just felt that as, as something that is essential original series season one, I think that it's worth taking a look at what they felt the Klingons were at that time and how they were supposed to have been molded. I know that John Kolokos had a lot of scheduling conflicts, so he couldn't continue core in the trouble with Tribbles and in Day of the Dove, but watch him people as core and you will see where the source material, I think for where the Klingons should have been, uh, came from. He was absolutely fantastic. And I do love, um, one scene. I, I, I wrote down a couple of my favorite quotes in, in these write-ups. And I like that when, when Kirk goes, I'm a soldier, not a diplomat. I can only tell you the truth. You know, I love it how he just doesn't like to get pushed around by the Klingons. And it fostered this entire direction of how Kirk went from this episode. So for my number six, Errand of Mercy. So we have Number six episode, Arena for Ken, Enemy Within for Atos and for me, Errand of Mercy. Number five on the list, Chief, what do you have? Coincidentally, Errand of Mercy is number five for me. So we're not too far off there for all the reasons that you stated. And the quote you made, yes, I am not a diplomat, I am a soldier, has been something that I have mirrored many times in my career in dealing with different situations. And... um, Again, you you hit it right off right off the bat. I I just love every aspect of this episode. And when they're battling at the end about being not allowed to fight and billions of people not being allowed to die, and then when the reality sits in with you know sets in with Kirk, it was really just a great moment. And you know, it's it's an episode that that has always been really strong with me. And like you, I'm a John Calico's fan. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, he he plays it so cool. And you know what? He's never over the top. He's never over the top. You never see him really lose it. He argues, but he's got this this consistency about him and the way he speaks and so forth. And he might rise raise his pitch a little bit at the at the appropriate times, but man, he is one cool Klingon. And there's that line, there's that one great quote, I think he ends on it, where it's and only John Colocos delivers a line like this. A shame, Captain. 
it would have been glorious. That's right. <laughs> He's just enough of the mustache twirling villain, but you're right. He he just holds it back just enough to know that this guy is supremely capable and intelligent and he has the Klingon agenda well in hand. But there's a little bit of self-service that he likes doing when he's not quite under the the microscope of Klingon politics. So he was, you're right, he's just so fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad you chose that. We were pretty close on our, on our choices. Yep. Uh, Ataz, uh, about you, number five on the list. My number five was Arena. Okay. Um, All right, we're closing the gap a little bit here. We certainly are. Yes. Uh, this one was one of the first times in the series where we saw that our heroes aren't always in the right, but they were still our heroes because in the end they were able to admit to their mistakes and they offered a hand in peace when it would have been just as easy, if not easier, to continue to strike out or to beat an opponent. Mm-hmm. And I have I have little doubt that uh, when this was written, the contemporary events with U.S. involvement in Vietnam War were in the writers' minds. And they were telling a tale where things weren't exactly what they thought they were when we got involved in the fight. And Arena is so iconic. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is probably the one episode where casual fans, even if they don't know anything about Star Trek, will see the Gorn rubber suit. We'll see that fight with Kirk, and it's a little on the ridiculous side. We'll see Vasquez rocks. We'll see just a lot of kind of like the trimmings and the tropes of of classic original series 60 Star Trek and say like, okay, I don't know anything about it, but I know that I'm watching Star Trek. That fight scene even made its way into the second Bill and Ted movie. And supremely referenced in Galaxy Quest Mm. with Guy Fliegman and them watching (laughs) him fight the Greg (laughs) Knack. Can you find a rudimentary lathe? Get off the line, guy. So, <laughs> um, doesn't have a motivation. That's right. <laughs> uh, those are good choices. I mean, now we're starting to kind of like whittle down into, I think, some of the more comfortable choices that people are are a little bit more uh, familiar with, uh, with Errand of Mercy, with Arena. For me, and I think I've messaged you, uh, messaged you this uh, privately that I said the only episode that I would consider, and it's a two-part episode that I would consider as a single episode, would be The Menagerie. So for me, my number five pick is The Menagerie, parts one and two. And I consider that one episode because it really is just one continuous story. Why this speaks to me so much as an original series fan is because it, it gives us more world building in Star Trek from years past with Captain Christopher Pike, with what happened with the cage, recycling the cage material and all that content into these episodes, and how that history falls into what we're watching in the midst of the middle of season one. And you have probably one of the most direct and specific acts of loyalty that Spock has ever committed to the point of mutiny and treason for his captain. Now, if he's going to do this for Pike, kind of weigh that against his whole history with Kirk and the choices that he makes and project that onto 2009 and into darkness. So that's why I love this episode. You have all of the content from The Cage, the original pilot, recycled in here. You have Susan Oliver being seen finally on screen and in color as Vina and obviously as the very first Orion slave girl. And you have... 
the threat of the Talosians. You have, and you guys mentioned this last episode because you were covering the Commodores. You had Commodore Mendez kind of there and kind of not there. But, you know, and, and the power of the Talosians. You have the reference to General Order 4. And then obviously you have this whole thing with Spock, his loyalty to Pike. And almost in a way, Kirk like has this moment at the very end of the first episode where he's standing by himself, kind of contemplating what's going on. And he's like, will I ever get this loyalty from Spock in my career? And you just see that, that, that relationship forge there. So in terms of original series canon and what I feel is essential, the menagerie really is. And the reason why it's my top five is because it's, it's just so solid from that aspect. And, uh, both parts are both solid episodes. So episode five, we have Errand of Mercy from The Chief. Atos has Arena, and I have The Menagerie parts one and two. Now we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty here. We're really digging deep, deep, deep into our <laughs> fandom. And Chief, number four. The next one for me, number four, is Devil in the Dark. This oh, was a good, uh, good choice. Yeah, good yeah. Choice. It's a it's a it's a great episode. And again, using that lens that I'm putting on this, you have action, you have suspense, you have a little bit of terror. You know, 1960s te- television version of that, and you have the whole once again that that Star Trek going one eight zero. It's not a villain. It's not a monster. The miners were the bad guys. You were attacking their children or its children. It was defending itself. And in the very end, everybody's working together. And you don't see that coming. I, I remember watching that for the first time and never really, uh, you know, even as a young kid, just didn't see that coming at all. And it was brilliant writing. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to uh, to Gene L. Coon because when you look, I, I have a feeling when we look across our list, there's going to be one common writer in a lot of these, the majority of them, and it was him. He really did a great job with this. Yeah, the no-kill eye, that was really something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely great pick. How about you, Jeff? Number four. My number four, uh, this might seem a little familiar, City on the Edge of Forever. Okay. Uh, uh, my rationale on this, uh, people often think, you know, if only I could go back in time, I'd fix this, that, or the other thing. I'd keep myself from making that big mistake or whatever. You know, maybe you'd try to prevent World War II from happening. And this episode makes it abundantly clear that time travel is actually incredibly powerful and it's incredibly dangerous. And the slightest misstep in history can have disastrous consequences. And sometimes the only way that you can win is to lose. That's an interesting... I'm going to come back to that. Because in my notes, I have the the synopsis of the episode, then I have my own synopsis. So I'm going to come back to that. But this really is kind of the butterfly effect of the original series. And City, I think, no matter how you slice it, will always be in the top 10. Always. Because, at least for the original series, if not the entire series, because the storytelling is so good. Yes, it was kind of like... um an interpretation of the Harlan Ellison script. And that just shows you how strong Harlan Ellison is as a writer to have it diluted to this point where it doesn't really 100% represent what he wrote, but it has enough of the touchstones to say, Hey, you know what? Wow. What a great story. So city on the edge of forever is, I think is just one of those very iconic episodes for star Trek, but it's one of those episodes that doesn't really feature a lot 
of what people enjoy about Star Trek, and that's the Enterprise itself and the rest of the crew. I mean, sure, you have the opening sequence where, you know, the the the, the Enterprise and a lot of the consoles on the bridge, you know, they, they kind of go up in smoke with uh, the temporal rifts, you know, uh, affecting the mechanics. And then obviously that great bit with DeForest and like pumping himself full of corgerzine. But Tricky aside from that, pardon me? Tricky stuff. Tricky stuff. Tricky that's right. Stuff. And it's only supposed to be a drop and he pumps an entire hypo spray into his chest. Uh, so we miss a lot of that. But what we gain is Edith Keeler and Joan Collins. And mm-hmm. she's about as iconic in the original series as you can get. So really good choice. Really good choice, both of you. For me, number four is Arena. And now we're starting to kind of like really hone down a lot of the choices and a lot of the similarities. Um, we all know the story of Arena. And for my personal note, I said, Arena is the reason why Star Trek combat music was written. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, that's iconic. It's, and I explained this earlier, there are so many things happening with Arena that allow new viewers to just kind of be engrossed in three different themes in this episode, in my opinion. You have the theme of revenge. Revenge in this society in the 23rd century, I thought was something that we were supposed to have gotten past. So that the attack on Cestus III and the Commodore's, you know, the Commodore's uh, uh, habitat, that was precipitated by theme number two, which is misunderstanding. We were encroaching on Gorn space. Then all of a sudden, at the very end, we learn theme three, which is what the Metrons were hoping we would do and understand the higher aspect and, and, and higher trait of showing mercy, which shows us as a species evolving past where we were with themes one and two, with revenge and misunderstanding. So I always thought that was incredible about this episode. You thought this was just going to be this fight episode where these guys are stalking each other, the Gorn captain and Kirk. And there's a lot of fun to be poked at that because you have the rubber suit, you have Vasquez rocks, you have all these different iconic bits of the original series, but at the very end, it's about enlightenment. Think about that. Kirk's like, no, I won't kill him. We could have been in the wrong here. That's that's huge in the raison d'etre of this episode. So that's why it's my number four. It's creeped past uh, almost nearly the 50% mark of our choices. So for episodes four, we have Devil in the Dark, which is a supremely awesome choice by Chief. City on the Edge of Forever by Ataz, and for me, your Commodore, we have Arena. And now, hitting the halfway mark of this show, we are going into the last three choices. Not necessarily the top three choices, but the last three choices of our list. And then after we're done with this, we're going to cross-reference the popularity of our choices and see if we can come with uh, away with our top three, possibly four. So I'd like to spend a lot of time in this back half of the episode talking about our top three choices. So Chief, what do you have for us? Number three, Squire of Gothos is my number three. Bold. Yes, yes, yes. So this is why. One, it's fun. It's lighthearted. And I think it's, it's, it's a very entertaining episode. That, that is number one. Two, it really gives us a look into TNG's Q. Because this is the the junior version of that. You see the similarities in the way the uh, mannerisms, everything that comes out of out of Trelane, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, three, you get a lot of in- involvement from all the crew members, which I also really love when they do things like that. It really pulls me into the episode. And again, through this new lens, 
if I'm looking at people that might have um, seen the new movies or started with TNG and they're trying to find, okay, what are those episodes that I really want to see that would get me hooked into uh, the original series, Squire of Gothos, especially if you're a Q fan, you're going to realize how, well, okay, Q's original, but he's not, wink, wink, that original. Right, right. And uh, kudos to uh, William Campbell, as Trelane. Oh, he was he brilliant. He was amazing. He was brilliant. Uh, Barbara Badcock uh, played, um, the voiced his mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. He, I think that in, in a way, when he reprised, not reprised, but when he came back on with Trouble with Tribbles, it almost kind of took the teeth out of Trelane because you're like, no, he's not a, he's not a Klingon. He's Trelane. That's right. Yep. And you're right. If anyone says that, you know, you know Q is this all, all new, all powerful, omnipotent being, the continuum was well represented it was. with with Trelane. Um, Jeff, I know that you know you know your obviously you know your trivia really well. There has been some fandom out there and fanfic and trivia out there that has been uh, probably ever since we saw uh, Encounter at Farpoint, where they were like, "Is Q uh, uh, part of Trelane or is Trelane part of Q?" Do you remember any of that? Well, there's the novel Q Squared that uh, basically says that Trelane is a Q. Is that considered canon? Uh, well, it's a novel, so technically no. Okay, so but that's not like a foregone conclusion in the original series or in any Star Trek to have these uberly omnipotent beings, kind of like you know playing marbles with you know the fate of the galaxy, you know, kind of like what we saw in Men in Black. You know, you had these super beings on this macro level, and you know our society and our drama being on a micro level, so. But uh, are you challenging me to a duel? <laughs> You're right. A lot of fun. A lot of it fun. It was fun. Uh, you know, and you got yeah. to have some, uh, a, a good mix, I think, of, of things that are entertaining that, that uh, you can really, really enjoy. And then, the, the, you know, the creative aspects of, of that episode and just the whole um, 18th century French look to it and why it has an 18th century French look to it. All of it. Mm-hmm. Brilliantly done. Brilliantly done. Yes. Absolutely. Great choice. How about you, Ataz? Number three. My number three was Balance of Terror. Interesting. Uh, This was our first glimpse into the larger political world of the Star Trek universe. Uh, We got to see the crew in a somewhat more military sense. Uh, The obvious military rank structure was used since day one, but uh, this was the first time we saw them acting as more of a political military force. And it was an interesting contrast to the more typical peaceful explorer role that we saw in it throughout other episodes of the series up to that point. And we, you know, we covered this um, several episodes ago. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Balance of Terror is really, I mean, literally, it's one of the best written pieces of television that I've ever seen. It's a and, phenomenal episode. Yeah. And, of course, you know, we were introduced to the Romulans and they're, There's so much to be said, especially again, when we're going down to these last three choices, there's so much to be said. I'm really interested in hearing like what the Babel conference has to say when they're, when people are listening to the cars, when like, you know, our, our big, uh, our big um, supporters, like, you know, Greg Malumbi and Christopher Baca, you know, they're going to be probably either agreeing with us or yelling at their radios. I'm not sure, but (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be interesting to hear. (laughs) They're, they're, they're typing away right now. That's right. That's right. Um, So number three for me. Uh, will be City on the Edge of Forever. And probably of any episode, I'd, li- I'd like to to read out to all of you like what I typed. I usually don't like reading my typed notes, but um, 
I found this, uh, it's, it was almost very sobering um, when I was thinking about this episode. And, and Jeff, I'm going to reference what you said, uh, that it wasn't a victory. You know, it was, I wrote this as Kirk's hollowest victory. That's, that's the way that I came away with this episode. I wrote all of like my um, episode notes as one lines of, of where I felt this episode was taking me. Uh, and I said, what can be said about this episode that hasn't been said before? And I said, my favorite scene is actually Kirk's last line. He says, let's get the hell out of here. There was no humor in that line. I said, and, and for Kirk, for someone who wants to understand who Kirk is as a captain, as a leader, and as a person... That was sacrifice. That is what you call sacrifice. He sacrificed his happiness for the success of the mission. And at that moment, you understood that he has placed duty above self. That's what made Shatner's Kirk so tragic at times and how he endured as a captain to complete the mission, no matter the personal cost. So that's when I saw that, he, you know, usually at the end of most episodes, there's kind of like this you know this 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 banter you know everything kind of resolves a little bit more nicely and upbeat but this episode he was you saw what he lost yes he restored the federation he restored time but at what cost you know when when is it okay for him you know when when is it when is he okay to just let down that guard but he's not that's not what he is as a captain that's not who kirk is so from that's how it boils down to me for number three so for number three, we have Squire of Gothos, the Squire of Gothos, Balance of Terror, and City on the Edge of Forever. And I think in any CD collection or any DVD collection or Blu-ray collection, those are all winners, big winners in my opinion. So, okay, let's take a deep breath, collect our thoughts, and we are going to number two, Chief, number two on our Essentials recommendations. Number two for me is Space Seed. So as I, um, as I thought about how to connect the dots between the 60s, the 80s, and then most recently, right, this decade, this is the one episode that ties it all together. So whether you're, not a, a, you're a huge fan of Into Darkness, you're not going to be able to understand the genesis, you like that word, of how it all no began, place, right? right, without going back to... The Wrath of Khan, and without going back to Space Seed, and and I know we talked about it earlier uh, uh, in the show when we were we were getting into it because it was it was on the number was it number seven before, so mm-hmm. um, this this one too I think Ricardo Montalban does a tremendous acting job in this and really pulls off the character well, and 15 years later when he reprises the role he's still as solid as ever and it's like nothing that nothing could have let off and I think too. When Harv Bennett was looking to figure out how he could, I guess, revitalize the franchise and and make a good movie that people could relate to, this one really, really makes sense. I think it still would hold true today that if I was trying to reach back to see what I could do in the current day had these other two movies not been made off an episode, just the ending of that movie alone would draw me in, you know, to see what we had planted you know, a generation from now uh, on SETI Alpha 6. So anyway, that's that's why I, I chose Space Seed as number two. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that, that just spreads across the whole lexicon of Star Trek over the 50 years. Actually, I think that Jeff wanted to jump in there when you said SETI Alpha 6, right, Jeff? 
This, this is Seti Alpha Five. I'm sorry. So five six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, got, got to do that. Seti Alpha um, Six exploded six months after we were marooned here. Left here. You said that wrong. Was and everything was laid waste. <laughs> um, and it's funny. The reason why I do that, and 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 you know, we love ribbing each other, is because in the last episode when you're talking about the Commodores, Jeff brought up one of my favorite movies, is the Last Starfighter, and you guys were fi- trying to figure out what my favorite movie is. And my favorite movie is of all time uh, will never change. Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. So um, there it is. I, I, yeah, those those moments, like those are the big moments. So great, uh, great choice. Space Seed number two. I mean, it's it hits a lot of the iconic marks of the original series and you're right if you want to get a new viewer into the original series and they've seen into darkness and then by and large have extrapolated their fandom back to 1982 to see the wrath of khan you have to know where all of this is coming from this is like going to a favorite band and trying to figure out what their first album was you know so and you got it it all comes from space seed as a matter of fact you know uh, just a lot of Star Trek survived off of the Wrath of Khan, and uh, being able to dig all the way back to seeing where that first seed was planted was a big deal. So, great choice, uh, Atos. What do you have for number two? Well, my number two is the Devil in the Dark. Uh, like Arena, the situation we entered here wasn't exactly what we thought it was, um, and we saw that. At the first viewing, you know, you open it up and you think, oh, there's this monster that's killing things, uh, uh, killing people, and we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to kill the monster. And then it turns out, oh, wait, no, that's a mother protecting her kids. And everything makes sense. And the miners are actually the bad guys and the monster isn't really a monster. And then the resolution is that we kind of, shake hands and make up and everything works out in the end for everyone which is like totally not what you would would expect at the beginning of the episode you know we see a lot of that in in the original series in the Mm -hmm. first season i mean this kind of parallels the the lesson learned with arena or it's it's that whole do we have the right we have the might but do we have the right are are we looking at this from a completely objective perspective here just because that we want to come in and roll in with all of our technology, we're pushing out like indigenous life forms for quote unquote manifest Federation destiny. I mean, is, is that what we're kind of like the, the objective and the agenda that we're pushing? So I really do like this episode a lot. Devil in the Dark speaks on a lot of different levels for the original series. I think just in terms of a cursory level with new fans, they have probably seen the iconic shape of the Horta and how it kind of burrows through like, you know, pure rock and all the little silicon orbs. Devil in the Dark is, again, it's one of those iconic things. You have the Horta, much like in Arena, you have the Gorn, uh, much like in uh, City on the Edge Forever, you have Edith Keeler. So you're hitting these really high marks. Uh, For me, my number two, um, Ken, you and I are on the same page as Space Seed. Uh, I don't think that I can add anything more really to what you were talking about with Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban will forever, for me, be two characters in my lifetime, in my canon. He will be Khan Noonien Singh, and he'll be Mr. Rourke from Fantasy Island. So, But for me, he was Mr. Rourke first because I saw Space Seed a little bit later. This was the source material that literally saved Star Trek, in my opinion. If it weren't for the success of The Wrath of Khan, we probably wouldn't have Star Trek either in the form we have today or not at all. 
And it was really a testament to Harv Bennett going back there and really looking at the source material and saying, what can we bring that will resonate with the original series fans and we can move forward with in terms of a really great drama? And I think it's great that we're talking about this right now because Nicholas Meyer has just been signed on as part of the writing team for 2017. And he, we all know his effect on Star Trek in total. You know, he directed two, he co-wrote and directed four and directed six. And is influential in so many ways with Star Trek. So Space Seed, for all of our new viewers out there and for all the new listeners and people that want to like get into the, the original series, I think is just one of those essentials. And for me, it has one of my all-time favorite quotes, and that was McCoy. When, when Khan came out of stasis and he came out of being sedated and he grabs the scalpel off the wall, puts it to McCoy's throat, and McCoy says, well, either choke me or cut my throat and make up your mind. It's brilliant, brilliant acting by DeForest. Um, and just to make a small point here, I love Madeline Rue as Marlon MacGyvers. I think she was fantastic. And I think it's a really neat thing seeing a character like this because not every single character has to be bridge crew to make a point and to make a difference. She was just a historian. She was just someone who was good enough to make one of the 12 Constitution class starships because she had a special skill set that was used once as far as we know. Uh, and look what happened. So she spent the rest of her time painting apparently. Yep. You know, she was just lucky enough. I said to get on, on the mission and she ended up being the source of all of Khan's vengeance, uh, in Star Trek two that was, uh, laid on Kirk. So that was pretty neat how they kind of like took that all the way around full circle. That was kind of an interesting story on that one too, because uh, the actress who played uh, Marlena had MS, and so she was un- unavailable for Star Trek II, and that's why they said that her character died rather than recast her. And I think that was an interesting choice because you really had to give, you really had like now Khan was borderline insane in a genius level way, and then you know you know it took you know what fifteen of my crewmen, including my beloved wife, and for those of us who know. You know, TOS, we're like, oh, my God, you know, like, wow, that was a big deal. So mm-hmm. um, for essential viewing, Space Seed, Wrath of Khan are just pretty much like peanut butter and jelly, bacon and everything. You know, it, it's just essential, you know, to Star Trek. OK, so everyone that's listening to the podcast right now, you're all taking notes and you're all keeping score. Everyone take a deep collective breath because we are going into our number one essential choice for the original series season one. And we're going to start with the chief and let's give these choices our due diligence. So chief, your number one pick My, for season yes, one. Yes, sir. My number one pick is balance of terror. So it's not a, it, sh- it shouldn't be a secret to anyone from coming from my point of view, since uh, we lobbied hard to, to do a, a big episode on that. It was a very popular episode, both uh, for us at standard orbit and both for, uh, for the original series, and I can't say enough about it. To me, it is all things. It it, it hits so many subjects. It it hit, it sets the political agenda for Star Trek. You understand um, essentially that uh, that the Federation are considered to be the U.S. and Western Europe, and the Romulans are kind of like the Russians, and they're they're po- probing and poking in. And I know there's some some analogies there to what was happening in Vietnam. But you also had the whole subject of racism. You had the women in combat. You had all the things we discussed about at length three weeks ago. So I don't, I don't need to dive too far into it. But uh, I think that, that the fact that we, we did dive so heavy into it probably influenced my decision. But if you 
if you brought that show today, if you were to make that today with today's special effects and talked about a lot of the same subject areas that, that still, even though we've made changes, would still be controversial, I think it would still it would be as relevant, and it is still relevant today as it was when it was made in 1966. I just love this episode. All right. So, Ataz, your number one pick for essential viewing. My number one pick uh, is basically a three-in-one. Uh, I'm going with the Menagerie. Uh, it's uh you know it's a three in one cheat like uh but you you said uh, it was allowed uh so mm-hmm. you know you got the two episodes of the framing story and you got the one episode of the cage so uh this is trek at its most essential root uh you know this is the original vision of what star trek was and would have been if uh, the original pilot had gotten greenlit you know, this is the only time we got to see Captain Pike on screen as part of the original uh, original series run uh, because The Cage never actually aired as its own episode until the 25th anniversary special. Uh, and they came out before that for the home video releases, but uh, it wasn't on screen before that, on, on the air. Right, um, right. We got a glimpse, like I said, of, of the Star Trek that might have been if that pilot had gotten the green light, you know, although it was edited to fit within that framing story. Uh, But, you know, we saw, you know, the more cerebral aspects of Star Trek that were worked into later episodes. You know, there wasn't quite as much action, but there was a little bit. And we had, you know, just all the touchstones that Star Trek would later hit. That's actually, it's a fantastic choice. And I, you know, it's with all of these choices. I mean, it's really hard to kind of like argue the, like the, the finer points of what should and shouldn't be on these lists, but you're right. Uh, Menagerie, uh, it does a great job of being able to bring all that stuff back, all of that content back that you saw. I mean, with just a snippet of original writing to tie all of that content together, it works so seamlessly. So great choice. Now, remember, none of us uh, shared these lists with, with uh, uh, either, either, um, of member of the team prior to the show. So when you're hearing these, you're hearing these for the first time. And we are also hearing these for the first time from each of us. So my number one pick is balance of terror as well, Ken. And not to belabor the point too much, because we've talked about this a lot, um, not only on this show, but on, you know, when we did the enemy within balance of terror episode, um, one of the reasons why I still love this show and in my one-line synopsis, it's called Honor Amongst Enemies. There is a great understanding that's happening in this episode. And I think from a production level, it hits on all fronts. You get to see so many different aspects of the characters in the ship itself. You get to see all the crews. You get to see how the dynamic works. You get to see that, that nice bit in the beginning where you're seeing the crew in a, in a relaxed state, in a state of community. You get to see how they're at odds with each other, with the way that Styles brings his bigotry. And this, this was my big um, tiebreaker between this and Space Seed being number one. I love the fact that they addressed the issue of bigotry head on on a bridge crew member and that it actually still exists in the 23rd century. And I, I made a point of that in, in the Enemy Within episode. But also, I think that where Khan is just this over the top and almost superhero-esque 
supervillain-esque character, Mark Leonard's Romulan commander was so sublime and so true to form as somebody who just wanted to get home. He reminded me a lot of, again, um, of Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. He's like, I'll do my duty, but I want to go home to my family. You know, this is just, and Kirk wanted to do the same thing. I want to protect my crew. I'll do my duty and I'll put us in harm's way because that's my order. But I would rather not sacrifice any lives of any members of my crew right now for something that's probably just a giant misunderstanding. (laughs) So you're seeing a lot of how things just get played out psychologically, emotionally, and you see a lot of the chemistry that's happening across the view screen between Kirk and the Romulan commander, or in this case, Shatner and Mark Leonard. I just found that so perfectly balanced, pardon the pun, but it is perfectly balanced in Balance of Terror, and that's why it made my number one. So so now we have this huge responsibility of trying to to cull down the list to what I think are going to be the top probably four for us. And then we're going to give a choice to all of our members in the Babel Conference to help for you to help us pick that fifth choice, the top five, because we'd like to come away with five episodes for this. So looking at the list right now, it seems that within the top three, Balance of Terror is on our list. Two for uh, uh, episode one and one for episode three. So I think it's safe to say that Balance of Terror is squarely uh, in one of the slots of the top five, if probably not the first slot. And I'll have to compile all these at the end of the episode. So in our fourth episode, where we reconvene on all of these choices, we'll put those in order. That's going to be a really, really awesome challenge. So Balance of Terror is going to be one. We have Space Seed uh, in the top, well, at least for for two of us in the top five. Um, Let's see. Devil in the Dark is also represented by two of us in the top five. The Menagerie is also represented by two of us two out of three in the top five. And it looks like, so we have Balance of Terror, The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2, Space Seed, Devil in the Dark, and probably, it looks by my balance here, it's going to be Arena. Yes. So Arena, and, and, and again, I'd like to give the, the choice to the Babel Conference. It's going to be probably... Arena and the funny thing is, is that I think it's going to be Arena and City on the Edge of Forever is going to be the choice between number f- uh, five and six, hopefully getting to five. So looking at our list again, the top five choices or top four choices are going to be Balance of Terror, The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2, Space Seed, Devil in the Dark, and possibly City on the Edge of Forever or Arena. That's a pretty solid list, don't you think? That's mm-hmm. a very good list. Very good list. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, is there anything out? I mean, we had some outliers on there. I mean, Kenny had Squire on the Edge, uh, Squire of Gothos, and then and then um, Jeff. You had uh, Enemy Within. Uh, would you want to fight to make a case for those? Or are those just something that wanted to pop into your, th- those are episodes that you just wanted to pop in your list for representation? Because I also like um, Errand of Mercy as well. Um, I think it was more just a thematic representation for me, uh, not so much something that I'd really fight for. 
I, again, I, when you when you look at Squire Gothos, you really have to change the lens and 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 really see okay. Today in today's world, what would be reflective? And like I said, I, I probably would not have picked that as a top five or maybe even a top seven normally. But in the way we were looking at it, if we're talking about new viewers and getting an understanding of where Q might have come from and everything, I think that's a it's a good episode to have in there. But it, it's not worth uh, uh, trying to take the hill over by any means because we agreed on that was the only outlier that I had, and. Um, you know, Aaron of Mercy's in there, Menagerie's in there. You can't argue with the the quality of these shows, and it's it's like trying to f- pick your favorite kid. You know, it's 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 not something you can do easily. Right, and for all the listeners out there that are compiling their list too, I mean, I'm sure that your top five are probably or top seven are probably wildly different, because when it all comes down to it, this is all subjective. I mean, there's we're not actually setting a list that's probably going to get entered in the Guinness World of Records or, or Roddenberry.com. I mean, this is just us talking about our favorite from the representation of if we were going to hand five episodes to a new viewer, this is what we felt would probably best represent our views on the original series. And from a variety of different reasons, from the, the, the iconic aspect of some of these characters, from the thematic aspect of the episodes and the writing, from the way that Star Trek has enlightened us over time. That's kind of like what we were going for with some of these choices and they weren't easy choices to make, believe me. So, Chief, mm-hmm. Mr. Ataz, do you have any final words before we start wrapping up the show? Yeah, the, one, one of the things I just wanted to kind of bring up, too, is you guys were talking about the Menagerie, and that, and that didn't make my, uh, my top seven list, but I thought you guys made very, very compelling arguments for it to be on the top of the list. And one of the things that I was thinking about when I was putting the list together in the Menagerie, and I was looking at how the episodes that I chose pulled into other series or other movies and, and could draw people in. The one thing about the Menagerie uh, that you saw as a common vehicle in the future of Star Trek, both in the movies and especially in TNG, is the hijacking of the Enterprise. So there was a lot of intense things in that show, but you can't overlook something that set a precedent for other shows to follow, and that is, you know, if you have good technical prowess and know-how uh, or just really clever, you can steal a starship. And uh, it was really well done in that episode. Well, what did Scotty say in Star Trek Three? Like a handful of Star Starfleet cadets and a trained monkey can, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> can right. steal the Enterprise out of space dock. So, but you're right. Um, again, it's if you asked me about this list probably a year from now, it might be different. All of our choices come from kind of like the the prism of how we filter this through time and experience. Right. So. Yeah, that's that's Star Trek. I think that's why Star Trek has lasted for 50 years. And um, I'm going to take a, a quick, I'm going to move myself into the the screenshot of this because speaking of 50 years, I'm wearing the Roddenberry.com 50 year anniversary t-shirt that you can find online. That's not a plug. I don't get paid at all for that. And Mr. Ataz is showing off his shirt. So just a quick, just a quick one right here. How about you, Mr. Ataz? Any last words? Well, I was very close to uh, putting Errand of Mercy on there instead of Enemy Within. So It would have been glorious. Yes. It would have been glorious. <laughs> I love John Colicos so much. I loved oh, him yeah. as Baltar. I just loved him as an he's actor. Also I thought the he's the only Klingon from the original series to have made three appearances in Star Trek. That's right. As Well, I know that he, he reprised his role as Kor in um, the Kalos episode in Deep Space Nine, correct? It, uh, it was... Uh, he, he had... 
two episodes on DS9 that he uh, appeared in, Blood Oath and uh, um, the uh, uh, Sword of Kalos. Sword of Kalos, right. As core, right? As core. Yeah. And uh, just to leave you with something because of the way that things go in Star Trek. And Actually, let's just wrap it. I take that back. He had a third appearance later. And let's wrap this up with Enterprise. I mean, eventually he would have been one of the Augment Klingons. Mm-hmm that lost his ridges at one point in time that somehow regained them back in <laughs> deep space nine. So, okay. You guys can all chew on that, uh, for, um, <laughs> for all of your trivia's sake. Still so online has an explanation for it, but that's it. Oh, for, for core. Oh, yeah. for the Klingons getting the ridges back, but I uh, gotcha. Way so you're going to have to check out, um, Star Trek online for that. This was an absolutely fantastic episode, and I can't wait to do this for seasons two and season three, and finally making our our true compilation at the uh, at the fourth part of this segment. And thanks, guys, so much. I know that it was a challenge for you, and it was a lot of fun reviewing a lot of these episodes because we love the original series, and we love being able to visit this content every once in a while and and challenge ourselves to figure out. Are these the finest episodes that we've seen that we can recommend to all of our listeners and viewers? And I think that we have actually done a great job. So be on the lookout this week on the Babel Conference after the show drops for that choice. I'm probably just going to run a small poll, see what you guys think about that choice between Arena and City on the Edge of Forever. As it's weird to say that as a top as a fifth pick, City <laughs> City on the Edge of Forever. So, but that's how the uh, that's how the voting went. That's how the cookie crumbles and. Um, that's how our choices just kind of fell for this particular episode. And it's been an incredible time creating our season one essential viewing list for all of you here on Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> the Ready Room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying, she stayed at her post. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! My last one, I think I might get a little bit of grief from you. Uh, workforce, part one. Oh my god. Oh. I, I know. Uh, hey, I did not make fun of Fairhaven. That's because Fairhaven's good and Workforce is boring. Oh, bite me. Commentary, Trek stars. You know, you, you come up with something stupid because of some joke that someone said and someone else said, and then all of a sudden you're doing a uh, tournament of movies which J.J. Abrams produced to determine which one is the crappiest. The 602 Club. We start getting hints of Thor. We start getting hints of Cap. We start getting hints of the entire Avengers crew, and we get Black Widow. So, I mean, Iron Man 2, considering... How maybe that's not my favorite movie of the MCU really does set up a lot of what is to come. Literary Treks. You know, visually to me, this is one of my favorite eras of Star Trek. You know, those monster maroon coats they're wearing and they're just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I've a lot of people talked about wanting to get a Captain Sulu Star Trek series. And one of the big reasons for me that that would be so great is to see this era played out visually on a regular basis. Women at Warp. 
her her voice as a computer voice has become so iconic that when Google started developing what is now known as Google Now, that that personal assistant you can speak to, um, they had initially codenamed it Google Majel. That's so cool. Isn't that awesome? Meta tricks. And I kind of had the jingle in my head. You can be a winner at the game yes. of life. And I was trying to think of the Star Trek version of that. You know, you, you, you can be a winner of the poker game of life on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> on the it Inter- didn't really roll off the tongue. So It was great until you added on the Enterprise. Melodic Treks. The reason why I think Brian Reitzel would be a more plausible choice is because he has worked with Fuller in the past. They worked together on Hannibal. He scored that series, all 39 episodes. The neat thing about Brian Reitzel's music is it's more of a sound design than it is a score. Saturday Morning Trek. One of the characters is sizably larger than the than the other. So he's just I don't, closer to the camera, Aaron, obviously. But he's actually behind the other person. <laughs> he's a giant. <laughs> Wait, then he doesn't need a laser cutter. He can just lift the hatch up with it. <laughs> Go down and get it. Okay. Continuing mission. Yeah, and of course, another great thing is when it's it's all finished and you look at it and go, yeah, we made that together. Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest moments. And people respond to it and say, oh, that's that's pretty well made. The effects are great. The actors are are great, uh, even though they're Dutch trying to speak English, right? <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So there are so many different ways to get in touch with us on Trek FM through subspace and through Federation or Klingon channels or Romulan channels or however you want to get in touch with us. And Mr. Atos knows all those different ways. So please let us know all the different ways, Mr. Atos, that our listeners can get in touch with us through all those different subspace channels. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, And of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm, and you can grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. You know, another way that we can get a lot of really great notoriety for our podcast and visibility is through iTunes. And can you actually uh, read a segment of some of our reviews that came in last week. And I just wanted to do, I would go a little bit further. And I really wanted to thank uh, the two reviewers uh, that gave us five-star reviews on iTunes last show. Hailing frequencies open. Hailing frequencies are open. We have SJ Sharks fan 39. And that's Greg Malumbi on the Babel conference. I know Greg very well. He's been a great supporter of the show. And we have CBS Spock, which is... Christopher Baca, and I just outed you guys, so I'm sorry if I did that, but you guys are great supporters of the show, and I think that people actually know you by now that these are your reviews. SJS Sharks fan 39 Greg wrote, If you're looking for a podcast that talks about Star Trek with a passion and excitement, look no further than Standard Orbit. The show underwent a host change from last year to this year, and while the old hosts did a great job putting their spin on the show, focusing a lot on the history of Star Trek as well as the comics of Trek, the new show has continued... That and grown the show further. Norman Lau, Ken Tripp, and Jeff Harlan are fans of the original series, and it shows with every show they've done. They know Trek, they love Trek, and the mission statement of this show is basically to make Trek accessible to everyone, young and old. 
The discussions so far have ranged from analyzing Spock's brain in a critical but fair way, anticipating Star Trek Beyond based on the trailer, and their latest episode, a very interesting and informative conversation comparing a fan favorite, Balance of Terror, to the movie it was based on, The Enemy Below. If you love Star Trek, or even if you're just trying it out because you love the spinoffs, listen to this show. Like all the other Trek FM shows, this one is well done and well put together. And Greg, I can't thank you enough for those words. Those were very heartfelt and very meaningful for us. And I just wanted to make sure that your review was read on the show because we do love Star Trek. Ken, Jeff, and I, when we first started crafting this show, we wanted to make sure that the first thing that came through every single word that we put through this microphone is laced with passion. Because without passion for what we like doing here and the love that we have that for Star Trek, I'm not sure if we would sell it as well or if you guys would be coming back and listening to future shows. So I'm glad that you've acknowledged that because that's what we do. We love Star Trek and we love talking about it. And from Christopher at CBS Spock, he wrote, This show has had a host change and the new show is even better. They have great discussions on the original series. I hope they continue to have the great interviews and guests that the previous hosts have had. And thank you, um, Chris, for that. And yes, we'd like to get more of the hosts, like or the the guests like Mark Cushman and some of the comics writers that Mike and Drew did when they did their excellent tenure on the show. So thanks for that. And please, all of you, if you like what you're hearing, if you love what you're hearing and you want to encourage more people to see what we're doing here on Standard Orbit, please take a look at the review process on iTunes and whatever rating you feel that we deserve to have, we would love to hear from you and we would love to review your comments here on the show as well. But that's just one way of helping support the show. Another way is through patreon.com slash trekfm. So Chief, would you mind taking all of our listeners through a cursory um, discussion of what Patreon is and how they can help support us through financial aid from this program. Sure. So Trek, Trek.fm is a listener-supported network, meaning we, we depend on your your contributions to keep these shields coming to you. We, we want to provide ad-free content, and we want to provide bigger and better shows constantly. And if you look at the quality of the, 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 the podcasts and the recordings, they are so high compared to other podcasts. And Christopher Jones makes sure that standard stays high. And... If you look at the amount of new shows that have been added to the mix, you can see that they're committed to growing the network. Now, we're putting more shows on faster than we're gaining contributions, and that's the way it is right now. And we could really use your help. Even a dollar a month is not too much to ask. But if you can afford to help us, there are some incentives that that uh, that you should know about. So if you can contribute $15 a month, then you get to take you, you get the ability to participate in our roundtable podcast where contributors and hosts get together and talk Trek. It is a lot of fun. And then at the $25 amount, uh, you get to be uh, listed as an associate producer and your name will be read on the air for your favorite show. Hopefully, you would love to to sponsor us with our with our other associate producers. So please, you know, do what you can. That's that's with patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. And we appreciate, again, whatever you can contribute so that we can continue to drive these quality podcasts and and deliver great content to you. Thank you, everybody. That's absolutely, Ken. And whatever you can do to help us, there there is no obligation. And you can, like the old saying goes, you know, 
Invest what you want, cancel at any time, but we would appreciate any support that you could give us to help fund not just this show, but the network itself. Another way that you can support the network is to visit redbubble.com and type in Trek FM in the search field. You will find a lot of great merchandise that is Trek FM themed and related, designed by our very own art director, Aaron Harvey. And that's the best way to at least visibly show your fandom at conventions. Convention season starting up. WonderCon is going to be happening in Los Angeles pretty soon. You're going to have DenverCon soon. And then the summer's coming. You're going to have DragonCon. You're going to have ComicCon. And then you're going to have Star Trek in Las Vegas. And what better way to be able to show and appreciate Trek FM, the station that you want to support, by wearing that on your chest, by wearing that on your iPhone cover or iPad cover or however you want to do it. But these designs are fantastic. They're so awesomely retro. And retro is so in because that's kind of like that Trek flavor. Check it out. Redbubble.com. And and type in Trek FM in the search field. Now, as Ken said, we have supporters of the show that have come in at the associate producer level, and two of them have been supporting us for a long time, longer than we've been on the show as the Phase Two, uh, the Phase Two team. We have Renee Roberts and Richard Rutledge as associate producers for Standard Orbit. Thank you again for all of your support. And, and the length of your support that you've given us uh, over the course of all of these shows. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701 and Richard at RUT8972. And again, they are at the associate producer level on patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at trekfm, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page to find us there. You can also find us at speakpipe.com slash trekfm and leave us a voice message. Now, two shows ago, I ran a little bit of a contest because I wanted to get some voice message participation based on that show. And it wasn't about who was the first voice message we were going to get. It's just about a voice message that we would choose at random. I'd like to extend that a little bit longer, probably for the next few shows, just because we would like to hear you. We'd like to hear what you have to say about the show. We'd like to take that clip and put that on the show and let other people hear you and hear your passion and dedication and love for the show as well. So... Please check out speakpipe.com slash trekfm and leave us that voice message and let us know how we're doing. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. And the Babel Conference is a closed listeners page for all of our supporters at Trek FM. It's a really nice, safe and secure zone where you can talk all about Trek and the different shows, all different types of fandom supported by what Matthew Rushing does on the 602 Club you can actually hear from our very our fearless leader, Christopher Jones, from time to time when he's not buried with all of the other responsibilities that he has with Trek FM. And you can also hear all of the different feedback from all the different hosts there on the Babel Conference. So just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook and find us there. The Chief, Ataz, and I were always there interacting with you. And obviously, we're going to need your help trying to figure out that fifth episode for the essential viewing for this podcast. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us, we have varying ways of being able to just stay in contact. So, Ken, please let all of our listeners know how they can keep in touch with you across subspace. For me, it's the aforementioned Babel Conference. That's where I uh, communicate with everybody. And I would really appreciate to hear your comments, especially with this show and your own list. But especially, we didn't get a Stump Mr. Etos question for this week. So I was kind of surprised. So please, folks, if you have a question that, that fits within the Star Trek universe, please IM me specifically, and I will take the um, 
uh, take the questions, and we will ask the question on air to Mr. Ataz. And if you are able to stump him, then we will go back to the other aforementioned program, Redbubble, and I will buy you the shirt of your choice and send it to you. So please participate in this. I think it'd be a lot of fun, and it's definitely a segment we'd love to grow with the show. Awesome, Ken, and thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity as being the, one of the associate producers for the network as opposed to, you know, just like a, for a show for the network. And Jeff, Mr. Ataz, you got um, a little bit of a reprieve this week. Um, I know you're stinging a little bit last week from uh, Ian Kimmon's questions, so we're going to give you that a little bit a of a break. <laughs> so please let all of our listeners see how they can get in touch with you across all the subspace channels. Well, if you don't have access to an Atavicron, like the Commodore said, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter, at Harlander, and I am a supporter of a network through Patreon. I'm also co-host of Warp 5, in addition to being the co-host of uh, Standard Orbit. And you can check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek, and that's at, st- at trekopedia.com. Mr. Ataz is a man of many hats, and the hat that he's wearing tonight as Standard is the science office's blue. And we love seeing you in that color because it just brings out the the gorgeousness of your eyes, Mr. Ataz. So for me, you can get in touch with me here on the network. You can always find me on the Babel Conference, like I said before, our Facebook listeners page. You can find me on Twitter at Starfighter1701. And uh, along with being a host here for Standard Orbit and an executive producer on the network, I am also a proud patron of Trek FM and support the network through that program on patreon.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.